0: Hello and
1: welcome to One Week, One Year, a podcast where we watch and discuss a year of film history every week, starting from 1895, the dawn of cinema, and this week is 1911. I'm one of your hosts, Chris I'm a film projectionist, uh, currently unemployed, and joining me as always is... I am Glenn Covell, a filmmaker. and Some,
2: Somewhat employed?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really got to, like, you know, uh, get a job. I mean, you know, unemployment's nice, but got to gotta get back in the biz, in the industry, yeah. you know? Got to get back into that biz. So what's what's up, Glenn? What's been going on?
2: Um, I don't know. It's been, uh, I can feel spring creeping in.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been
2: sunny. I've been reading more. I've been writing more. That's Feels, good. I've it's been a it's been a good
1: week, I think. It's great. Yeah. Um I'm pretty pleased with this week because I got my first vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> It uh It uh it didn't hurt really, uh and I didn't really have any bad symptoms from it. Though I got like I got like a very like a very, like, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, like, a very, like, r- rough email, like, right at the same time that I was, like, stepping in to get the vaccine. And so, like, it was hard for me to tell what was, like, vaccine symptoms and what was me just, like, Ugh. <laughs> mm. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. I hope you get your vaccine soon, Glenn. Me too.
2: Yeah. I mean, as soon as
1: uh i am
2: as soon as they let me i will
1: <laughs> yeah um well anyway uh we are a film history podcast as we spoke about in the beginning we're talking about all these ancient movies uh and and looking through the the vast treasure troves of of the early 1900s uh to bring to you uh the quality and the analysis that you deserve uh So, uh, if you're watching...
2: Thank you, Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) If you're watching on YouTube right now, uh, stay tuned, because we will be playing the movies along while we talk about them. And if you are uh listening on the podcast or if you would like to watch them of your own accord we'll have to cut off a lot of the movies because uh they they're longer than the amount of time that we're talking about them. Uh there's a playlist that is linked in the description of both the YouTube and the podcast and you can uh watch the movies right there pr- beforehand often with music. So that's mm. that's that's good.
2: They're they're all very old movies. They're all in public domain. And so
1: yeah, so don't sue us.
2: Yeah and don't and don't give us weird emails, YouTube, because some music video also used public domain, footage. oh my
1: God, what garbage! yeah, <laughs> I forget no, I forget what it was some it was some some one one of the recent uploads that I did um uh, we had a public domain movie that we can do whatever we want with, and somebody used that same public domain movie in their documentary, and so we got flagged for using their documentary footage when we both when we just really both use the same Mm. public domain footage garbage yeah um anyway we like to start out every episode uh, before we get into the yeah by by just complaining about everything oh my god um uh by giving ourselves a little context for the era of film that we're talking about uh and so we'll listen to a little bit of the news from 1911 glenn would you take it away
3: The News of the Air, 1911. Up first, the world of aviation. Charles W. Chappelle wins a medal at the first industrial aeroplane show. The only African-American who brought his own invented aeroplane. Last year, Eugene B. Eli was the first man to launch an aircraft from a ship, and this year he becomes the first man to land on one. The dawn of aerial combat. Bombs are dropped from an airplane in Libya during the Italo-Turkish War. And finally, the first air mail flights take place on February 1911. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire in New York City kills 146. The The fire's deadly effects were exacerbated by untrusting and unscrupulous owners who locked the workers inside. The Colt M1911 pistol becomes the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. Army, forever making it impossible to research things from 1911 without search results getting clogged up by gun guys. The Sherman Antitrust Act breaks up the giant Standard Oil, ending its monopoly and breaking it into 34 separate oil companies. The first Indianapolis 500 race is held. The winner had an average speed of 74.59 miles per hour. The nuclear meteorite crash lands in Egypt. On its surface, evidence of water on Mars. The Mona Lisa has been stolen from the Louvre. The thief Vincenzo Perugia keeps it in his apartment for two years before he's caught. The race to the South Pole concludes when Roald Amundsen's expedition makes ground. The Xinhai Revolution begins in China, soon to lead to the end of the final Chinese dynasty. As the revolution comes to a close at the end of the year, Sun Yat-sen is elected the Provisional President of the New Republic of China. Mary Pickford leaves biograph for the Greener Pastures of the Independent Moving Pictures Company.
1: Thank you, Glenn. You're welcome. Uh Mary Pickford, um yeah, she she was having that she was the biograph girl, but now she's the IMP girl. She's an imp girl. Um <laughs> uh, uh, she's gonna, I think she, she made a few movies with IMP this year, but, uh, I think they kind of only really survive in fragments or, or there's mm. like one or something. I didn't watch it. Who cares about Mary Pickford? Um, although you do, cause you, uh, you just got the Mary Pickford cocktail ingredients. I, did. Right?
2: I had, I had to buy some, uh, perhaps overpriced liqueur, uh, in order to make it. Um, but yeah, it's a good cocktail.
1: Which was the one that, that was overpriced? Like, what's uh,
2: that? Uh, Luxardo liqueur, which is a, a cherry flavored.
1: Oh. Thing. Can't you just, like, get some maraschino juice and pour it in there? I mean,
2: not, like, mar- maras- maraschino or maraschino liqueur is its own thing, I guess. I don't oh. really know. I, I learn all of my cocktail and, like, bartending things from, like, bougie YouTube sites. And so, if I learn how to do anything, I learn to do it the the most like exacting way possible. Fair enough. Um Although there's plenty of times where it's like you got to make this with like this one brand of rye or something like that. I'm like, I want to use bourbon. It's, I don't care. Um, but we're not here to talk about alcohol. We no. here to talk about old old movies.
1: Yeah um soon soon alcohol will be will be banished so we're we're not going to be able to do anything about <laughs> we'll, that will
2: be banished and more popular than ever before <laughs>
1: um so uh, after a terrible week last week where we couldn't uh we couldn't start with our guy and mm-hmm. we had to start with the monster dw <laughs> griffith we can start with our guy again it's yeah. george
2: melies our our boy melies
1: <laughs> this will be his penultimate year of films, uh, yeah. Which is sad. It's very, um, it's
2: very, um, it is very sad. It's going to say bittersweet, but there's not even a lot of sweetness to it. No, especially because these are kind of just okay. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to. I think this, some of the stuff next year will be a little more impressive and interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, the two that he made this year, or at least the two that survived, are uh, Baron Munchausen's Dream and the Diabolical Church Window. Indeed.
2: Um not not top tier melies. Um kind of I would say middle of the road to to lower tier melies. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Um but it's still it's it's nice to have his weirdness back in in our lives.
1: Absolutely. Movies it, are getting so serious these days.
2: They really are. The 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 more popular films from the 1910s seem like they're very dour, very serious. Yeah. And, yeah, I appreciated Melies's just, like, fast-paced, manic, weird, kind of supernatural vibes that he yeah. always brings.
1: Yeah, Um, he made both of these movies for Pate. Uh, this is, at this point, he has sold his star films, uh, and all of his assets to Pate, which will be his undoing, really. Mm. Um, uh these types of movies that, you know, these kind of fairy movies that Melies was making, uh, kind of were just not popular at all by this point. And, uh, you know, Pate hired him for his clout basically, but he's like, just nobody wanted his stuff anymore. Um, and, uh, I guess one, the, the one that we could talk about or uh, first is, um, Baron Munchausen's Dream, which, mm-hmm. uh, is 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 a it's definitely you know it's definitely a Melies joint, but uh, there are some supposed uh, pate corruptive influences on, uh, on this yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically like a bunch of fun vignettes one after another. It's a classic Melies setup of somebody dreaming and weird stuff happening.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a nightmare film of like. I mean, it's very. I think there's a couple of different titles of it. I mean, there's Baron Munchausen's Dream, the Hallucinations of Baron Munchausen, mm-hmm. um, Monsieur le Baron Dined Too Well, which I think is my favorite one. That he oh, he I ate.
1: didn't see that. He one. he
2: ate too much
1: at dinner, and now he's having a, a bad dream. <laughs> um, well, the reason there are so many different titles in English is because this one and no Melies movies past this point were ever released in the U.S. Um so or were never released outside of France. So they never right. they never uh had official English translations.
2: Um it does. I think some of the vignettes have some cool uh things in them. But um yeah, the uh the sort of corrupting influence, if I'm remembering correctly, is one is the runtime. It runs a little long yeah. for a Meliers movie.
1: It it lags. I mean I think Melies like to keep keep the pace up and keep showing you new stuff but this movie is basically like one dream vignette and then another one and then another one and then another one for like 10 minutes yeah. and it gets a little stale um but i i liked like sort of the way that it introduces his dream world is that uh there's like a mirror in the like a giant mirror behind his bed uh and so initially the dreams are kind of being presented from within the mirror but it's not it's not actually like a double exposure effect. It's like a stage that's behind the mirror because Baron Munchausen is, I don't know what that was. Baron Munchausen (laughs) is able to, (laughs) is able to uh, walk through the mirror into the dreams, which is so fun. Um, Well,
2: and also there's the bit where he like gets up from his bed and he's looking at himself in the mirror. And so there's two actors who are playing the Baron mirroring each other's movements, which is very cool. Um, and that's something that is still, the the effect of having a mirror on film with two actors on either side is still something that is occasionally used today. Um, yeah,
1: like in Magic Mike XXL, uh, where they do that fake mirror routine at the very end of the film. Have you or, seen it?
2: I haven't. I still haven't. I gotta, ah. I gotta get to it. Um, <laughs> I, I was thinking of the deleted scene in Terminator 2, uh, which is not a recent movie, but um not as recent as as magic mega XSL. I sell no. and yeah we'll break. get to
1: both of them though <laughs> we will um, uh this also one of the vignettes is uh i mean we we can't say this for sure until we watch next week's movies but maybe his final moon face um ooh there's, yeah there's a face in the moon i hadn't thought about that uh, with a gross long tongue yeah. that's like an like a tentacle that comes out of the nose
2: <laughs> <laughs> he had to he had to uh step it up you
1: know he had to escalate
2: yeah. his, his moon face effects.
1: <laughs> uh, and then, like, it's it's kind of a fun effect. Like, you know, a tentacle just kind of bursts out of the nose of the moon and kind of swipes around and everything. And then it uh, kind of fades into uh, a trunk of an elephant for the next vignette. Yeah. Uh, an elephant
2: a... with, with reading glasses.
1: Oh, <laughs> I didn't notice <laughs> the glasses. Oh, my God.
2: It doesn't really have... I think, I think it's kind of interesting that it's called baron munchausen's dream because it doesn't as far as i can tell it doesn't really have anything to do with the the stories associated with the baron munchausen character slash historical figure right um it's kind of just they're just slapping that ip on there to get the to draw the yeah. crowd i
1: think which we, we've we seen some of that kind of stuff before like with sherlock holmes and uh mm-hmm. i don't know so we, we've seen it definitely yeah. um have you seen the Terry Gilliam Baron Munchausen movie
2: a long time
1: ago? Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. It's so, it's so fun and wild. Yeah. I mean, it would be right. It's, it's one of
2: the most Terry Gilliam esque Terry Gilliam yeah. movies.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then the other one that he, uh, made this year was the diabolical church window, uh, which is not, which was, I think rediscovered pretty recently. Um, this wasn't on the original like Flicker Alley Melies box set. It like was on the the second one that they had to release with the newer uh, discoveries um, a couple years later. Um, and this one is basically like the devil puts a wizard to sleep, um, and then he just plays pranks because it's a <laughs> Melies movie.
2: <laughs> Classic George Melies setup. <laughs> the devil kid puts the wizard puts a wizard to sleep and then plays pranks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I read that this is a an incomplete version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt fairly complete. You know, it didn't feel like yeah. there were any glaring things where it's like, oh, this something's missing here. Right. Um. But yeah, it's At least,
1: you know there's not much of a narrative to it, so it's not y- nothing would really be missing yeah. from a narrative perspective. It's
2: mostly like some some camera tricks, uh, a lot of pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the the classic Melies thing also of uh, someone trying to 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 grab or hug a a, a pretty lady and then she disappears yeah. when when he uh, <laughs> when he does it and then he uh, grasps the air. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, not, not a, there's not a lot to say about these. They're not super, they're not really narratives necessarily. They're just sort of setups for, for some fun, for some fun and games.
1: Yeah, they're pretty simple, but you know, if you're, if you're putting on some, some goofy meliés, then they're, they're, they fit the goof quotient, you know?
2: Um, they would be, once parties are a thing that happen again. Uh, I do feel like Melies trick films are a good thing to put on in the background.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, we like need to make like a great, like a great, like silent movie yeah. party background playlist. Oh you know? my God. <laughs> yes.
2: Um, yeah. Oh man. That, that is, that's something I miss of like going to someone's party and there's, there's just a movie playing low in the background. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you don't, if you don't want to talk to anyone, you can just sit and watch the movie for a little while.
1: We, we all have, we have all, all thought about parties so deeply in this time of no parties that we, we know now how to put together the greatest party. We have to have, you know, certain atmospheres here and there, mm. a snack table. People don't think about, no, they always think about the snack table. Anyway. <laughs>
2: the, uh, the great innovation we've come up with from a, <laughs> a year of no parties is snacks
1: on a table. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of the guy that sticks to the snack table. It's um, it's
2: it's a it's one of the safest places to be at a party.
1: Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, some movies that would not be good to play at parties are <laughs> D.W. D.W. <G. laughs> Griffith movies.
2: Oh, great transition, and thank you. True words have never been said.
1: <laughs> this guy makes some. Um, oh
2: my god! This you know, I, I call this 1911 the year that. Dw Griffiths just doubles down. Yeah, on everything.
1: Yeah, it, like like he, there's no there's no turning back with him anymore. No, there's no I, more yeah. fun, you know, house robbery movies. There's no uh, eagles picking up babies. Yeah. It's <laughs> he
2: he no longer has like plausible deniability about his no. bigotry.
1: Yeah. Um, it, that I mean, is... really, the only de- deniability he has <laughs> is that he made one movie that was about the Union and not about the Confederacy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I have, uh...
2: This week, while, like, going through well, Wikipedia to find movies, I have been waging a, a one-man war <laughs> against dumb, incorrect, uh... D.W. Griffith facts. Mm-hmm. Um... Like, things that he invented, close-ups, or continuity editing, or cross-cutting, or any of those things. It's, uh, you know...
1: D.W. Griffith has it. made some good movies, um, yeah. but I think that we owe it to film history to uh, take away the worship of yeah. D.W. Griffith as this innovator and the man who invented cinema. Because I mean,
2: uh, I do think he has, like, innovative... Uh, filmmaking techniques that he's using but it's he didn't invent them like it's not yeah they're they're less groundbreaking more than it is just sort of like he's using them he's, he's more refining frequently. things and yeah, and yeah.
1: yeah using more advanced techniques as more than just a parlor trick um, for sure and he has much more of an interest in storytelling than a lot of people did when he started off too
2: yeah um i also i mean watching some of these and like doing research about uh, about yeah, like the stuff that he's sort of contributed to film language, um, and, you know, not to diminish his influence as a director, though I do love to diminish his influence as a director, is, <laughs> um, you know, I I I wonder sometimes how much the sort of like competent film language stuff in his movies is uh is Billy Bitzer, who right. is, was also a director and was the main uh cinematographer um for i think all of his movies or all of his main ones mm-hmm. um that wouldn't necessarily account for the sort of like the the notice better, better editing of them or anything um i have no idea if there's any truth to that i just want to take some credit away from him i think
1: <laughs> um well since we're talking about um uh, we can we can get to the gross stuff in a minute but since we're talking about Apocryphal DW Griffith information. We could start with the Lonedale operator, mm. um, which is thankfully not a racist movie of his. Yeah, um, it's, <laughs> the, it's a neutral film. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, it's it's listed in certain places. That's what did you say that was like? It was either like a, the first close up or it, like a it, in- there.
2: There was a thing on on Wiki- and this is Wikipedia, so obviously this is just like some yeah. some person put this there. Um, they, they had the release of The Lonedale Operator as, uh, a significant sort of advancement in film history because it was, their words, uh, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it was something like the first successful close-up in a film. And first of, <laughs> of all, what, what does that even mean?
1: Like, they tried, but they failed, you yeah. know?
2: <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, we had a close-up. I don't know. It just, you know, we were too far away. Um... <laughs> And um, it's like, no, none of, none, nothing about that is, is true. I mean, I, I thought, I tried to think about it very specifically because it, there is a, 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 a somewhat unusual for this time, uh, punch into a close up to show what some, someone is holding. Um, yeah. that is sort of a big reveal in the movie that, um. We
1: have seen that before, but it's well done here. It um, is, yeah. And I think so, that's
2: why it kind of sticks out as like, ooh, this is new. Yeah. Um and who hadn't done the insane due diligence that we have been doing of yeah. watching <laughs> damn near everything. Due diligence the podcast. Um but yeah, I mean I th- I want to say that like uh what's his name? Um God damn it. Now I'm blanking. Um
1: David Wark Griffith.
2: N- n- uh George Albert Smith had yeah. like punch-ins to close-ups to show things and to reveal things not often um yeah yeah or probably probably not quite as elegant as it's used here but it's like that sort of mechanical function of cutting to a close-up of something to reveal more information it's not not a new thing
1: yeah um I'll have to search through my notes from previous weeks because I know on on a few movies I wrote A Punch In with lots of mm, all caps yeah. and lots of exclamation points. Uh yeah, briefly this movie is uh a a woman um sort of a takes loo- over. It's
2: a loose remake of the Lonely Villa.
1: Uh in, Yeah, say. in some ways. Yeah. In some ways. It definitely involves some like robbers trying to get in a door and then that's actually that's actually quite true. Um, uh, I'll 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 say how. So there is a um, there is a there's a woman who is the the daughter of an operator of a train station, and he is I don't know sick was he or just getting he's, old he's, basically he's still, yeah. Um, and he he hands over the operation of the train station to her, and. Uh, they find out that there is a delivery on a train coming up of some payroll money for a company, uh, big money bags. And, uh, so they're, they're trying to make the accommodations for the delivery of the money, but there are some no good root and tutors who are uh, trying to track down the train and, uh, and steal the money. And, the, as, the, as the money is delivered, they basically hold her up uh, inside of the train station, um, and uh, she locks herself in her office. And, and so the similarity with the Lonedale operator is that it's these guys trying to get into the office and her using a telegram instead of a telephone uh, to send out for help. Uh, which I, I thought was actually kind of fun because, um, like, I I don't know if I've seen a telegram portrayed in movies yet, and uh, she's like really, really telegramming with emotion, you know? Mm. She like you can see like he's like ah 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 you know yeah. uh, as she's telegramming, and I, something I was wondering was that if you could actually it shows what she said later in a in a card, um, but. I was wondering if you would actually be able to see what she's telegramming. Oh, you tried?
2: <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm just, I'm shaking my head no, because I I very much doubt that they took the time to accurately uh have her like, you know, telegraph out the correct Morse code in that, yeah. in that scene.
1: That'd be nice though. I mean it'd be like a good Easter egg for people that can understand Morse code. Yeah. Um <laughs> There's, but yeah there's like a lot of parallel action happening in this movie um there's the people breaking in there's there's her in the station there are people on the train there are pe- there are cops in waiting there's the person receiving the telegram mm-hmm. uh all, all sorts of stuff happening together that uh that fits quite well apparently there's over 100 cuts in this movie i saw that being noted somewhere i don't know if it's especially a lot or i mean it kind of seems like a lot but they they flowed so well that i actually didn't notice how many cuts there were in this movie mm. until it was pointed out um, and uh, as the thieves break in they uh, hold her at gunpoint but then uh, she pulls a gun on them uh, and so there's a bit of a standoff and they uh, they they are not going to fire on her basically because she's holding out the gun and there is a blue tint that's indicating that the lights are out in the room.
2: Oh yeah. That was yeah. that was good.
1: I actually noticed that in a couple movies this year uh, mm-hmm. that I th- I think like a a piece of cinematic language that's developing is blue light means it's dark like a blue tint mm-hmm. means it's dark out like nighttime or the lights are off. Um but eventually her telegraph goes through and the cops come at just the right moment and get the bad guys and it is revealed the whole time that in the dark she did not actually have a gun. Uh, she had a wrench that she held up and made it look like a gun. And so that is the punch in there is the close up mm-hmm. on the wrench. So you can go, Oh, it was a wrench the whole time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah. And I also like how once, once that is revealed, um, the, the, the lead, the lead character and the cops all just laugh. At the, at the dumb <laughs> robbers. Um, as they're taken away. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, I think this was better than the lonely villa. I think it's, uh, it feels a bit more refined. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the editing in it is, is pretty, it's very good for, for this time period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is sort of like, okay, like another, woman trapped in a room while like cross cutting with people coming to help her
1: get out of it. Yeah. At this point DW is still making, you know, 50 100 movies a year or yeah. something like that.
2: And a so. lot of them are the same movies. Like yeah. he's he's repeating the same
1: plots a lot. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know how you could keep that up if uh <laughs> if if you weren't.
2: Yeah, turns out the reason he made so many movies is cuz he was making the same one a bunch of times. Um,
1: uh, including ones about the Civil War.
2: Ooh. ooh.
1: Um, um, yeah, a lot of those. W- uh, we could kind of talk about them broadly, I guess. Um, the Civil War movies. Uh, once again, more Civil War movies. hmm Um, uh, particularly the battle, swords and hearts, and what you call the trust? I mean, the trust isn't about the war itself, but... Um, no, but it it is. Yeah, it involves yeah. the war. Um uh the battle I just want to touch on really briefly because um it is from the Union's perspective only, which is um which is unique.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: uh it it uh features a DW Griffith theme of like deserters in war. Um basically it's this big battle scene and you're seeing all of this, the scope of the battle is actually pretty impressive. Um, and you're seeing all of this chaos happening. Um, and it's zooming into a bunch of smaller vignettes that are happening around the battle. Like there's a, there's a deserter and there's, um, you know, there's uh, like features happening in houses around where that's happening. And, um, my mom actually walked in while I was watching this one, and uh having having seen a lot of the older movies and she was saying that it looked really impressive mm. uh considering what she'd she'd seen
0: yeah
2: i um, i think it does i think the um a lot of the battle stuff is very is well staged and it's well shot and um uh they i think they it makes the most out of like what you know how many extras they have, like they can't do these like enormous, like sweeping shots of like people going over hills and things, but they, it's framed in such a way that it maximizes the sort of, we get, you know, soldiers in the foreground and then sort of like smoke going through the, you know, middle of the shot and then people in the background. It's, it's well, yeah.
1: they still have like probably a couple dozen extras. Yeah. Um, that, that really fills out the scenes. Uh The basic thing of it is that like, the, there's a Union group that's getting attacked, and they are trying to hold off the Confederates until reinforcements can come. And there's all this other stuff happening at the same time. Mm. Um,
2: uh, this had it, it had opening credits also, which is not unheard of, but it's still kind of a rarity, I think.
1: Yeah. As On far some, as I can tell it's happened on some other DW movies, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I guess it's starting to become more common. I think. Um, and another one is swords and hearts, which is, uh, also includes like some of the themes, uh, another, another thing that he touches on a lot of, of, uh, a women taking men's place in the war, mm-hmm. uh, the other time, uh, uh, it, it was in house with closed shutters. Yeah. It was due to cowardice. Um, but in this one, basically, there's, there's a woman who's in love with this Confederate guy and, uh, she sees that he's about to get ambushed by, uh, the, the evil union, unionists. So she dresses up as him and rides on his horse and rides away to, to pull them away from him. Um and uh, yeah, this was this one, yeah you know, it was like it was also a love triangle, which is another big d w thing, yeah, happening. <laughs> he loves
2: those, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, with like the the doubling down thing, I feel like there are, I noticed so many more things where it's like, okay, like this is something he's just gonna put in every movie now, yeah, um.
1: Not looking forward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. There is, uh, and I can say one nice thing about this one. There is a nice sort of reveal of, uh, someone is shot and they sort of react to it and then we, we, there's kind of a reveal of the blood, um, that they've been wounded, but then it doesn't actually go anywhere. It doesn't ever come back.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just like, oh, she's shot, but she's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah didn't didn't care for this one so much
1: yeah um and then there was another one his trust which is a two-parter and mm-hmm. is disgusting
2: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> revolting difficult to watch like one of the first we've watched I think on the podcast where I was like I don't want to watch this like this is yeah. it, this is really uncomfortable and I'm just so morally opposed to pretty much everything happening on screen and even like the way it's being It's being shown on screen
1: It's, ugh, I hate it Yeah, yeah. Uh, the full title of this Is, if you want to understand Why we are revolted <laughs> Is His Trust, The Faithful Devotion and Self-Sacrifice Of an Old Negro Servant
2: Servant is, uh That's an interesting choice of words there DW <laughs> oh,
1: that's, that's true <laughs> that's, that's
2: some revisionist bullshit right there
1: Oh, man! And so it's like this classic like you know uh, this classic civil war or, or confederate fiction of the the slaves who you know were really cared about the family and they were a member of the family and they were honorable and uh, and they were like white people, but also still they sleep on the ground outside, yeah, even though they sacrifice all of their money and uh and life uh to uh to the uh. daughter of, of uh of a um uh confederate soldier who dies is is the idea so it's it's just about this this great this this wonderful negro who uh uh you know he 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 loves the family that he is enslaved to so much
2: this the the note i have for this this movie is this is the 19, 1911 equivalent of those news stories that are like guy takes eighth job to pay for the orphan melting machine to be turned <laughs> off and it's it's like that's not heartwarming yeah like this isn't a heartwarming story like this is just this is just terrible like nothing that's happening in the story is remotely heartwarming even though it is it is you can tell watching it that it's it's intended to be that way
1: yeah yeah so yeah it's like it's it's I mean, it's respecting black people in only the barest bones way of, like, respecting them for how good they are at being slaves. Um, Yeah. What I wrote for this was the giving tree without the message, you know? (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. Because this whole 30 minutes is, is this guy sacrificing his own meager amounts of money that he has and all of his... Uh, and all of his energy and time and and care for uh, this kid who it becomes sort of a surrogate kid to him uh, who is white after and,
2: after the Civil War and he has been freed also
1: yeah, yeah, he can be free, but he chooses to just give his life to his uh, owners um, and and at the end, it's this kind of somber thing of uh, of him kind of reflecting on on his service and and how how good he was and then dying possibly like he just kind of lays down and it's, maybe he just dies cuz he's old at that point it's it's it's, it's horrible the
2: giving the giving tree without the message i think is the most apt description of this it's it's as if at the end of the giving tree you're like oh yeah great the the tree is gone
1: <laughs> Every, everything worked out that was a good tree. That tree gave everything. Yeah. So, good. Good on the tree.
2: <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Terrible. If if you're watching every movie, don't watch those because they're bad. Um. Uh. He did also make D.W. Did make one movie that I I I genuinely did enjoy.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: He managed it.
1: <laughs> that i'm assuming you're talking about the miser's heart yeah. yeah um
2: yeah i mean this one uh i mean it's it is dw once again sort of weaponizing cute children in order to get the audience on his side
3: <laughs> which i that's mean
2: like little, uh, that's a little that's a little uh pessimistic maybe <laughs> i mean that's the thing is like pixar does the same thing it's it works right. very well
0: yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs>
2: um, and yeah, I mean, I was thinking, watch. I was like, damn it, this w- this one is charming. Like this one, I do like. Yeah,
1: it is. I mean, you know, there's no race stuff in this. Uh, even even though it's about a miser, he's not he's not coded that way. So right, yeah. Uh, oh, this one, there's there's like a poor family, and they have a a. Miser who lives upstairs, who has a lot of money, uh, who takes pity on them, um, and and is nice to them. And uh, there's also a parallel story of a thief named Jules, who. Uh,
2: oh, his name is Jules. <laughs> I don't know if I. I don't know if I picked up on that. Uh,
1: I don't think I picked up on it until I just said it now. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, and he fixes to oh what does he do he he's just what he's just he, gotten he's on yeah
2: he's just gotten out of prison but he's kind of on the run because he's stealing food for himself yeah um uh, this also is the first i think credited film role of lionel barrymore yep of the barrymore yeah. acting uh i don't know
1: dominion um, yeah, he <laughs> the, so so Jules the Thief is the great uncle of Drew Barrymore. Yeah, uh, uh,
2: what what are they? The dynasty—that's what it is—the acting dynasty of of the Barrymores.
1: Yeah. We've got the we've got the Coppolas and the Barrymores. Yes.
2: Yeah. um, so that's that's significant. I think he also appears in the battle, but he wasn't uh, credited in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. Uh,
1: so the, the he he ends up kind of trying to sleep on the roof of the building um, that that the that the other two characters live in, and the kid is you know kind of starving, and she sees that some of the food that he stole, and she kind of inches up to him, and uh, and he ends up sharing his food with her, which is actually a really cute moment. Like I thought it was it was nice, and they have they have like they have some fun little chemistry, and they they look very they look very nice together. Um, and so the next thing that happens is some other thieves come up, some very debonair thieves, <laughs> um, who, uh, are fixing to rob the miser. Um, they hold him up in his room and they're, as, as they're trying to break into his safe. And a lot of this is him, is them trying to get the safe combination out of him and him, like him refusing to, to open it. And eventually they grab a hold of the kid, and they uh, start using her as a threat to to tell him to open the safe. They'll they'll drop the kid out the window, which uh, they
2: threatened to do by holding the kid out of the window. And the, yeah. the way that they filmed this is they held a kid out a window. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was the it was the rough and tumble days of yeah. early film. I was like, um,
2: making this movie must have broken a few laws even in 1911
1: i feel like <laughs> i would hope i don't know um and a, a very diabolical twist because you know he's still he's still like you're not going to drop her it's not going to happen whatever like i can't i can't give away my precious money um is uh that she's being held out on a rope and they put a candle under the rope and there's a close up <laughs> of the candle burning the rope as, as so she's getting closer and closer to falling like six stories down the building. Um and um uh she I guess it's actually not like the roof roof, it's kind of like a like a platform that's below the roof, uh that, that Jules is is lying down on and making his camp on, basically. And so she is able to see her buddy Jules and like she throws what was it her shoe or she sort like sh- she throws something down to get his attention. Mm-hmm. He realizes that, um, that his little buddy is hanging from the window about to die. Um, and so he rushes to go get the cops, um, uh, uh to go and help, help him. But he, the cops don't believe him because they just, told him to get yeah. out. Of, yeah. He's a, he's a thief. They don't like, and they told him to get out of town um and now he's back here telling them tall tales you know uh and uh they don't they they don't believe him and like they they try and they try and lock him up again yeah and he's,
2: he has to plead to the
1: the chief of police slash judge yeah <laughs> uh and then like after they send him away the people go like what was that he was talking about that there's a child in danger <laughs> like Ah, uh, maybe we should check that out, you know? <laughs>
2: I guess that's our job or whatever. Um, Yeah. And, yeah, this, this is another instance of, of good use of intercutting between these, like, parallel things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, then they, you know, the, the, the cops eventually do... I don't know if they let him out first, and then they all run to the... He leads um, them to the building. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but they they were taking their sweet old time until they actually see the kid, and they're like, "Oh, yeah. he wasn't kidding."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and then they get the, they 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 save the day, and the yeah. end, and
2: it, well, um, and then and then the miser shares all his money with the poor family living downstairs, and buys yes. buys them all nice furniture,
1: yes. And food. So some more class stuff from D.W., which is nice to see because it's not race stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's a it's a fun little movie. Um, yeah,
2: it was one one of his only movies that didn't feel like a that didn't feel derivative of any of his earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it uh it fits the sort of one real roughly fifteen minute uh running time really well. Yeah. Um, the it's it's paced well, like it's you know it doesn't feel like it's lagging. It, it's it, it's moving along. It tells like a good complete story. Uh with multiple kind of threads.
1: Indeed. Um, Um, One last DW movie that we can talk about is The Last Drop of Water, mm. uh, which is a Western that he made. um, And... uh, (laughs) It was before the t- it was before the time that the words based on a true story were invented, and so it's called. It, it is suggested by the lines to Sir Philip Sidney, who upon the field of blood, dying, gave the last drop of water for the sake of brotherhood. Right. Um, yeah.
2: Uh, Never mind that spoilers. Just right. Yeah. Up front. Seriously.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're kind of you're kind of anticipating it the whole movie uh it's another love triangle movie it's a love triangle in the old west and um it is uh not just a love triangle but it's like a a kind of uh, like nice guy slash like a hole <laughs> dynamic uh that classic dynamic uh uh yeah time is a flat circle there you know? <laughs> every every everybody's like, like so so dw Griffith is like uh, I'm a nice guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so it it opens with the nice guy trying to court a lady, and then uh the the uh the 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 the, the drunkard kind of swagger guy shows up, and he's bad scared life. off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this this is another in uh not just a love triangle, but also. Like DW's obsession with cuckoldry. <laughs> because, because this, this guy is like, he just seems very cucked, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because I think there is that element in a lot of his other movies of, of a love triangle and of kind of a similar dynamic to this. But this one is, is definitely the most like. Oh, man. Like,
1: yeah, yeah yeah I guess in a love triangle there's often going to be a a loser but uh in this one he really acts like a loser <laughs> <laughs> um and it's called the last drop of water because uh you know it, it, the, the 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 drunkard and the woman end up getting married and the gu- the guys the the nice guy is just kind of sitting there waiting in the wings you know uh they're out on stage coaches and uh, they're running out of water and they're besieged by uh native americans and uh they're trying to go and find a stream to get some new some more water and the the drunkard and the nice guy uh go out together and they're they're kind of out in the in in the heat and and basically they're starting to die um and the nice guy collapses and the drunkard has a uh as a change of heart to not be a jerk and he gives the last bit of water to the nice guy who sips it and is revived and then the 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 bad guy dies
0: yeah
1: um and uh who is, is also, established is like a very bad dude yes like, yes he is a very bad dude um uh like a kind of abusive drunk husband yeah. There's a lot,
2: Um, there's uh, so many movies about alcoholism in this time.
1: I guess it was, was, you
2: know, it was, it was on the mind, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess I can see maybe, yeah, maybe booze was just like, yeah, hot topic considering that prohibition was around the corner.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, they were, it's definitely like, you know, it was in the air, I think. And you can Mm -hmm. see that in, in the films, um, from this time period for sure.
1: One other thing about this movie is that uh it is a white hat and black hat in the in the west except that the white hat and black hat are switched who is like oh, the good guy and who's the bad guy. Um I don't you know I don't know if that dynamic was simply to distinguish the two of them visually and they hadn't come up with the whole Mm-hmm. visual language of it yet, but there's it was it was kinda interesting that we were seeing it there as, a, as in a western.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um this also is a western that was shot I'm not sure exactly where it was shot, if it was California or somewhere else. But it's it's shot in a real desert, which certainly helps yeah. a
1: lot. Yeah, lots of extras and, and props too, um, which are good.
2: They they are no longer doing the the New Jersey Western as they were known. <laughs> um so yeah, it's, it's got some it's got some nice kind of western production value to it
1: yeah well I mean speaking of New Jersey westerns <laughs> uh, uh, Elise Gee has started solax yeah um, her film company her American uh, film company yep yep and she's got it outfitted in New Jersey and one of the earlier movies that she made for that film company is Parson sue which was a western
2: yeah <laughs> uh, I I really enjoyed this one i mean it is unfortunately the entire like climax like third act of the movie is lost yeah and so it kind of just there's just a title card that explains like how everything is wrapped up and you're like oh uh, we don't yeah. actually get to see any of this we don't get to see the big yeah. fight at the end
1: poochie went to the moon and uh, lived there forever yeah. with his friends um, and went, went away
2: <laughs> it's also so so silly this is like even for an Elise gee movie like she makes a lot of very silly movies. I feel like this one is there's just a I like a a, a gleeful silliness to the whole thing that I really yeah. responded she has, to. She has she
1: has a lot of fun with her movies. Yeah.
2: Um uh this movie reminded. this movie has a lot of like crowd scenes. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it reminded me of uh a thing that um the video essay Eddie Freeman Painting pointed out. Um, which is when you put a bunch of people in, in a, in a shot, uh, any emotion feels really big. And I think that I thought about that a lot watching this movie of how, like, um, I think I have a specific example now. Um, but there's, there's, there's a lot of scenes in, in like a saloon or, or a shop where someone will react to something. Um, and rather than just having one person react to it, we get to see a whole crowd kind of react to it. Um. And it does. It makes it makes everything feel very like impactful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um it, it, but often in a goofy way. I mean, this is like a like a hammy it's, movie it's about so hammy and goofy. Uh yeah. Uh about a I didn't know what the word par, the, the term parson before, but it's like a pre, like a somebody affiliated with religion, mm-hmm. basically. Um so she comes to like a, a Uh, An out, not an outlaw town. What would you call it? Like a sort of, you know, a frontier town. A frontier town. Yeah. Yeah, she comes to a frontier town full of, uh, full of gruff men as a as a clergy member, and she tries to convert all of them um and she puts up a sign next to the uh <laughs> next to the the water trough that says cleanliness is next to godliness and all of these you know dirty western men are like oh man we got to impress this lady you know <laughs> so they uh <laughs> so they they're all like getting getting nice and so there's just like a gaggle of 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 dudes like trying to out jesus each other to to impress yeah. parson sue
2: <laughs> and it, it it kind of it does the thing that Eliski loves to do which is kind of to to play with uh like uh gender roles a little bit and kind of like traditional uh ideas of like masculinity and femininity um and so yeah there's like a whole scene of all of the the very macho cowboys who are all just like bathing themselves with soap and water out in the In the middle of town, um, it just in a very, (laughs) very goofy way that you would not, (laughs) you would not uh, immediately think of when you're like, oh yeah, a bunch of root and toot and We're saying root and toot in this episode a lot. Um, it's a good adjective. It really is. We got to bring it back. Um, there there is a specific character in this movie that um, I I wonder. If is intended to be like the gay cowboy, or if it's just because Elizki is French, and <laughs> I feel like that that has come out a lot in in her movies, where I, I can't tell if it's intentional or not, or is if it's gay just, or just
1: European. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Um, if so, that's, that feels significant, though.
1: Yeah, I didn't actually notice a, a gay cowboy. There's there's um,
2: one cowboy specifically that. Is where, is like very clearly wearing makeup, which in 1900s and 1910s movies isn't, is not unusual. Right. Um, but just one character really sticks out as having like very, uh, distinctive makeup, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a scene in the beginning where I think he might supposed to be, it might be like he's flirting with another, another man, but I'm not Mm. entirely sure. Um that was that was I how I read if, it anyway.
1: Yeah. I wonder if um homosexuality was as um as, if the 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 hate against it was as established back then. I feel I like think there was it, I
2: think in the US it, it was for right. sure. Mm-hmm. I I don't know about Europe or France specifically.
1: Um and this is another love triangle here because there are this two true, kind yeah. of, there are two kind of, um, primary suitors and the one who loses is named Sleeky Sam, <laughs> which I love. Uh, and, uh, when he, when he, when Sleeky Sam is rejected, he swears revenge and, uh, and, you know, kidnappings and, and, yeah, well, sue. he
2: swears revenge by trying to kidnap Parsons Sue, and then the other suitor, um, I think makes. The, I think I'm pretty sure most of this happens off screen, so I might be misremembering the details somewhat because it's it's just a single title card that explains most of this. But <laughs> the the sort of the other suitor, who's uh sort of this like main uh cowboy guy, um is sort of set up as he's gonna go rescue her and then just immediately is shot and taken out of the picture. <laughs> um and so then like the rest of the town has to kind of band together hmm. uh to rescue Parsons Sue. Um and that too is like a cool reversal of like I feel like Western story tropes uh haven't really been as established as I would think they would be later. Like this is early enough in film history that I it's like, ah, Westerns can be whatever. Yeah, I suppose um, so.
1: I know Westerns is, are really popular at this point, but I guess everybody's yeah. playing by their own
2: book. Um But Gay is already just being like, nah, I'm like I'm doing I'm doing it my own way.
1: Yeah. That's something great about her. She really <laughs> she really uh uh bucks a lot of trends in ways yeah. that are interesting.
2: Um and it make it makes her movies really I think really interesting and refreshing to watch. Because mm-hmm. so many other movies from this time period are very samey and yeah. very kind of uh stick to stick to certain traditions where she's just like, I don't give a shit, I'm doing whatever.
1: <laughs> um Do you want to talk about starting something or I mean is it too baffling?
2: <laughs> it's I don't know what to say about it other than I'm baffled. It's just really weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's... I, th- I think the performances in it are very funny. Like, yeah, especially yeah. the, the like, police officer who shows up. Just, like, the, 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 like, uh, the physical acting in it is is really, really good.
1: Yeah. It's real, it's real goofy. It's a lot of people making, like, silly faces because they think they're hypnotized. Or, or, no, no. They think they're poisoned. They, they, they think they're poisoned. And they and have so... to, like,
2: do a conga line in order to not be poisoned anymore
1: <laughs> I. it's yeah it's a uh i don't know should we should we talk about it it's um i don't know it's uh it's 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 set in a room where a bunch of very inexplicably there's like a bunch of like kind of women's lib stuff like accoutrema like kind of hanging around yeah, like
2: suffrage signs and things
1: y- yeah yeah um, yeah, signs like "Vote for Women," uh, "Woman for a Woman for Our New President," and "Down with Man." <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, like, it's completely immaterial to the story itself, but it's like set in like a suffragette's office, I yeah. guess. Um, and uh, there is, uh, oh, how does how does this whole thing start with the hypnotism?
2: It's Oh, it's so weird The it is funny, though, because like watching this movie, I was like, is there some like contemporary political subtext that I'm not getting? Like, is this yeah. a, is this like a satire of something that I just don't understand?
1: Right. A lot of this movie is really inexplicable. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, so there's a man named Jones who walks in who like has a drinking problem and uh uh another person uh she comes up with the idea to help him with his drinking problem by hypnotizing him into thinking alcohol is poison. Uh and she puts a little poison uh uh, uh symbol on the on the bottle uh to really sell the sell the illusion. So he ends up drinking it and thinking he's poisoned after he was hypnotized and a succeeding group of people all not, not being hypnotized, but being, being under, uh, <laughs> they, they walk in and drink from the bottle. And then Jones comes back in after he's hopping around, like acting wild because he's like, Oh, I'm poisoned. I'm holding my stomach. I'm jumping around. Uh, and then so they start thinking they're poisoned, and it just yeah begins a conga line of people who are jumping around and making f- silly faces because they think yeah. they're poisoned, and and then they find out that they're not. That's yeah. like that's that, the movie. Yeah, that is it's very strange. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, it is it is rather baffling, and it I definitely got the impression from it that there is some sort of greater sort of subtext to it that I'm just not picking up on. Mhm. Um but what that is, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there were there were a couple of other movies uh, that survived from Elise Guy at this time, but they were only just restored recently. Um they're on this uh, Pioneers of Women bo- uh, Women Filmmakers box mm. set and I was not able to uh grab them in time, so we yeah. weren't able to watch they're, them. They they are so not available
2: they're um, not not available online anywhere. As far as I can tell, you can only watch them in a box set.
1: But looks like a good box set. Comes with some essays and stuff.
2: Yeah, it comes with
1: a lot of stuff. So yeah, um, we could move on to our sponsor Elise's for the episode, <laughs> Kino Lorber. Spons- I mean, honestly, that would make a lot of sense if Kino were to sponsor us hey. if, for any sponsor. Yeah. Although we do talk about, um, you know. Uh, talk about and link to a lot of uploaded on youtube kino property mm. <laughs> uh
2: with anyway. a, with all of the um getting sent into a mattress films we could you know casper mattresses something like that
1: oh true that would be i, I yeah, feel like we've made that joke already <laughs> we yeah you know, we we have such a short memory for this <laughs> podcast um okay why don't you pronounce it for me her understudies name because we just Louis Fuselage. Louis
2: Fouillade.
1: Fouillade. Yeah. This all of this we really need to learn French. Like honestly, if I'm really going trying to go hard for this podcast, I should just learn French. Um yeah. Louis Fouillade uh made a couple of films this year. Um but my favorite was The Trust or Battles for Money.
2: This might be my favorite of the year. I'm not mm. sure. Even though it is French, it does feel like it's also pretty relevant to the time in the U.S. in 1911.
1: Well, I mean, I I, I would make a lot of comparisons to A Corner in Wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's A Corner in Rubber, is this movie, with more, like, intrigue. Um, it's, it's that, I think, with a little bit of... Um, what was it, like, the
2: the white slave trade. Hmm. How so just with the, like the kidnappings and the there's, like you said, there's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of, yeah. Uh, like backstabbing and, and sneaking around and like plots and
1: yeah. Yeah. It's uh, pretty plot heavy. It's only 25 minutes long and a lot, a lot happens in it. Um, it, uh, I, yeah it makes sense that you would be into this one glenn because it does seem like a kind of proto noir crime film in some ways
2: yeah yeah it definitely f- feels that way um it also just has some um some some fun language in it at least in the the translation of the intertitles um mm-hmm. there are some some uh some dastardly businessmen who are the villains who are referred to as uh, businessmen without, scru- without scruple, <laughs> um, which is great. I'm gonna have to start using that as an insult. Um, <laughs> you are without scruples, sir. No scruples <laughs> found. <laughs> uh, um, and they they hire. Well, there's there's a uh, I guess it's sort of a scientist who discovers a way uh, a formula for artificial rubber. Yep. Um, and he is returning from abroad to, um,
1: on, on his rubber fact-finding mission.
2: Yes. <laughs> um, and the, the sort of, uh, the rubber barons find out about this and want to put a stop to it because it's going to put them out of business. And so they hire a, uh, a private detective to, to do their dirty work. Yep. Um, and i mean i i don't know if i want to go through like all of, there there's a lot of plot to get through so i don't yeah. know if i don't know if we necessarily need to go through the entire thing um but i mean the the important part is that the movie ends up with the 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 good business people who want to you know make the artificial rubber and the bad business people the rubber barons both end up hiring the same private detective yeah. One to kidnap the scientist, one to protect him. Um, and so the private detective, being a capitalist, ends up, uh, kidnapping him. Um, and bring him to the, uh, the caverns beneath the rubber baron's cliff house. Which, ah, <laughs> uh, what a lovely sentence that is. I mean, and, if you're going to own a cliff house, you got to get one with a cavern underneath.
1: Oh absolutely. That's that's a hundred percent true. Um it's, it's the villainous bat cave, basically. Yeah. And um my favorite part of this scene actually is how the the rubber barons not robber barons by the way, yeah. but rubber barons. <laughs> um uh they they're wearing their like tuxes and top hats inside of this cave. Yeah. With masks. And as, and yeah. And as the guy, as the guy comes in to disguise their identities, they put on these, these big, um, these big, uh, kind of, I don't know, the, the masks. It's yeah. a black mask that you put over your eyes. Yeah. And so it's like such a look, you know? Yeah. They look, they look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're
2: the, the, the quintessential Edwardian supervillains.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, I was thinking that like the the PI. So, so what 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 ends up happening is they're trying to like kidnap this guy and extort him to give them the uh the recipe for the artificial mm-hmm. rubber. Um the formula. And yeah, the formula the formula. If
2: this movie was made today, it would 100% be an algorithm.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> Gross. Um and uh you know they say like we're not trying to hurt you. We're like offering, even though we're holding you at gunpoint, we're going to give you fifty thousand francs if you give us the recipe, the the formula for the artificial rubber. And he's like, well, I guess I have no choice. And so he they they offer him a pen, and he goes like, oh no no I've got one. And so he writes it down on the on the paper, and and they're like, you know what? Thanks a lot. Here's your check. See you later, guy. Um <laughs> and so they they put a blindfold back on on the scientist and walk him out of the cave and as soon as he's made his exit, they realize that the pen was disappearing ink, and so they thought yeah. they had the they thought they had the um the formula but uh it it is gone he's he's swindled them
2: yeah, I love um, too when that happens the the private detective who's been sort of like one one of the main villains from this whole thing. Know like yeah. the, the the businessmen are all freaking out, and his response is is kind of like if there was dialogue, it'd be like, "All right, that was that was pretty cool. Like, I'll give you that."
1: <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't i I don't know if this was textual, hmm. um, but because the PI got hired by both both parties, right? My thought was that maybe he was doing a yojimbo kind of thing, where I he was that, playing them yeah. against each other, and this was never shown in the movie, but, like, what if he gave the scientist the, the disappearing ink pen, right? So he was able to bring the scientist to one party, but then also fulfill his obligation to the other Ooh. party and get paid by both, right?
2: That would make the movie even better if that had been... <laughs> after the reveal of the disappearing ink, we found out that that was what what had happened.
1: Yeah. Man. I, I want to believe that. <laughs>
2: Th- this movie is ripe for a remake, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Once once we can get together, I think it would be a lot of fun if we like did some 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 stealth-
2: some, mo- some modern retellings of these.
1: Yeah, that'd be so fun. Yeah. Um, Especially the ones that that aren't like that wouldn't require Legend of a Ghost levels of money. You mm, know, this yeah. one this one could be pretty cheap to make.
2: Hey, we could just you know, throw some sheets on some cars and make Legend Legend of a Ghost. Yeah, <laughs> light yeah. some fires in a cave. <laughs> if we had made, or we watched either. Fuyad movies from this year, which are eh, I don't know if we have as
1: much to say about those. Not really. Um He also made a movie called The Defect, which has some good messaging to it, I think. Um if it, but it is way too yeah, long. I
2: if if only it were if it were shorter, I, I think it would have been really, really strong if it had been cut down and it had been more concise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it, it drags a lot. Um, but it does, it does reveal, uh, the sort of, um, contemporary, I guess, prejudice against, um, people who work in dance halls.
1: Yeah. I don't know what that implies exactly. I mean, I, um, I
2: get the impression it's, it's, um, it's sort of like a loosely veiled, uh, you know, euphemism for, um, like prostitution, if not prostitution, then like, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? The like old timey stripping
1: burlesque.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I know that's not really
1: what burlesque (laughs) is, but, um, (sighs) well, yeah, I mean, it, it does, it does contextualize that in, in that way. Uh, it's, it's about a, a, Quote, waitress in a brasserie, which is a French restaurant, which I didn't know, in the Latin quarter where loose women congregate. <laughs> um, <laughs> unquote. Uh, and yeah, it's, so briefly, it's about a customer sitting down, seeing her, seeing promise in her, and, uh, giving her a job to, to leave her, this place that she works, and, uh, she uh ends up kind of working as this uh she ends up taking over the position from him at this like kind of charity basically and she becomes this like a saint that as they're called like she's called a saint because she does all of this wonderful charity and then um her her ex comes into the picture and tries to get hired uh at her charity, or, or like, work for her or something, or just reconnect with her in some way. And she rejects him, and so he writes an angry letter uh, that, uh, that tells the world that she used to work in a dance hall. And this is so shameful that she's kicked out, no one respects her anymore, and... She loses her job. She's laughed out of any new job that she tries to uh, uh, get. And she considers jumping out of a window. And then in a title card in the end, she goes like, it, it explains that she uh, found some new opportunities for doing the same kind of charity work in the Far East. And she goes there instead. <laughs> and so it has, you know, it's got stuff to say about like, you know, sexism and the way that mm-hmm. women are, are treated uh, uh in their lines of work, and you know, garbagey men blackmailing people in ways that um,
2: sadly still feel somewhat relevant.
1: Sure, yeah, but imagine how tight and great that would have been in a one reel film instead mm. of like a three or four reel film. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but still, like I, I do appreciate uh, Fuyad, you know, in- injecting his his uh. So sort of social commentary into um these kind of more more pulpy like lurid stories, yeah. this one's yeah. much less kind of lurid than the trust is um
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: which again is also another thing that makes it less entertaining to watch mm-hmm. <laughs> um
1: what's next, well. Uh speaking of long movies. Ooh boy. Uh we could talk A lot about of those. the the Italian epics as they're yeah. as they're um beginning to spring up this year.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we we have the first Italian feature film.
1: Yeah, and the earliest surviving intact feature film. Yeah.
2: Very uh um significant, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah uh it is l inferno l'inferno inferno, yeah or an adaptation of dante 's inferno yeah
2: um yeah i didn't i didn't love it um <laughs> i don't i don't necessarily think it needs to need needed to be a feature um but um yeah i mean uh, you can tell a lot of a lot of work went into this one and it 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 yeah. it, it does I feel
1: think it, i think it took two years to shoot this movie.
2: Yeah, um, and it feels, uh, it feels big, you know, like, it it feels, um, the scale of it definitely does feel on, um, on a, not necessarily bigger than other movies that we've seen, but I think the length combined with just what they're putting on screen does give it this, the feeling of an epic, which is, yeah. which is cool.
1: Yeah, um... This is, I mean, this is based on Dante's Inferno. I I haven't read the book, but... Neither have I. (laughs) Basically, um, the reason why Glenn didn't love it is because this is pretty weak from, like, a structure and storytelling perspective, even though I think visually and vibe-wise it's really cool. Um, Because it's... uh, How long? It's an hour and ten minutes long. Mm -hmm. And the movie is basically... um, Virgil takes Dante into the Inferno, shows him one thing, shows him another thing, and another thing, and then repeat for an hour and ten minutes. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, it's very light on structure, and it's not, like, super challenging in any, or or adventurous in any way on that front. But I actually, I, I think if it weren't this movie, I would be incredibly bored by it, but... The fact that it is so like spooky and, uh, and, and like dark and grim, uh, I mean, it is based on Dante's Inferno. I, I enjoyed it a lot. It's like, it's a, it's a vibe watching this movie. This, For this sure. would be one that would be good to have on in the background of a party.
2: Yeah, that is true. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly vibe and it, it does, it does create some really wild imagery and just a, Put some stuff on screen that you're like, "Oh, damn! I didn't expect this." Yeah, um, I mean, it's
1: a it's a lot of darkness for something of this era too, like like grim, mm-hmm. dark theming and everything.
2: Yeah, like a lot of um, he uses a lot of he uses both um actual locations and some some sets and sort of some combinations of the two. Um, and some of the set work is really elaborate and yeah and cool it's full of smoke and and like spooky like rock formations and things
1: yeah i mean it's trying to like it, it does a good job creating an image of hell in front of you
2: yeah um and nothing uh, towards the beginning you know it's it's less surreal and it's less sort of hellish and mm-hmm. is a bit more just sort of like ah, oh, there's just some people out in a field like this isn't that this isn't that crazy Um, and then as (laughs) he, as he descends the, you know, the layers, um, it, it gets like more and more, you're like, oh, okay, I see where this movie's going now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, I mean, I know this is, this isn't super relevant, but I went to this, um, last year, just before the shutdown, I went to Singapore and there is this place in Singapore called the Haw Par Villa, which is a theme park that was do you know the like tiger balm ointment um it's like a it's like this kind of just ointment that you could put on and like basically the made from real tigers uh yes sure Uh, (laughs) but the family that um that put it together or or, or that invented it they're like super buddhist right and so they made this um this like Chinese mythology and history slash like Buddhism education theme park, and the most famous section of their theme park is called the Ten Circles of Hell, which is uh, which is apparently like basically every kid in Singapore like had like has a memory of being scarred by going to this exhibit um at some point in their childhood uh because it's it's describing just all of the various tortures that you'll go through for different reasons in Buddhist hell. Oh,
2: I I remember I believe I've seen pictures that you've shown me.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's so cool, but it's like it's like very elaborate, you know, it's like oh, for 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 lying, you'll get sawed in half and they have yeah. like a diorama of somebody getting sawed in half. Um And uh, they talk about Dante's Inferno in the exhibit of just, like, other depictions of hell in a sort of educational way, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, and this is the same sort of thing, because each of the different vignettes in this movie are different types of sinners and depicting the ways that they're being yeah. tortured. Such as uh, carnal sinners who are, like, in a tornado f- <laughs> flying through the air of, like, human d- naked bodies, um, there are, uh, gluttons who lie naked on the ground getting rained on, uh, they're entire, like, in the mud or whatever. Uh, and then, uh, there are, like, suicides which become, like, like, tr- tree people in hell. And, uh, like, when their, uh, branches are cut, blood spews out. Like, very, very dark like I, I love i love mm. the imagery in this movie yeah.
2: um with all of those vignettes too i think it's like you get through those you know the obvious crimes that people yeah. would do and then it starts getting into stuff that is, are, is so specific and so like um almost just so sort of like petty crimes that i'm like are these i haven't read dante's inferno but it, it does seem like some of the crimes people are getting, like eaten in hell for are just like it's just dante airing his personal grievances
1: oh absolutely that's something that i've heard about dante like one of the one things that i know about dante's inferno is that yes he was trying to scare people away from sinning and 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 because they'll go to hell but also there were like just all of these notable figures from italy at that time that he just didn't like. Mm. And he just said, oh, they're in hell, you know, (laughs) like, like, like he was just being extremely messy with, (laughs) with this, uh, with this book.
2: Well, also it's, it's almost like the, the sins that people are getting punished for are so hyper specific that it's like, okay, like who did that, that annoyed you? You know, it's like (laughs) those, you know, all the people who borrowed money from their brother-in-law and then didn't, didn't want to give it back, but then did give it back, but were like a dick about it. (laughs) <laughs> and then they went to the opera and they didn't invite their brother-in-law. I mean, they knew it was their favorite composer. Those, yeah. all those people, they get fed to the fire snake. <laughs> and that's like, okay, Dante, I, I think I know where you're, where you're going with this. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, you have anything else on this one?
2: Um, not really. I did the, the Rick Dalton thing and pointed at the screen when, uh, it says abandon all hope. Ye who enter here. Indeed, indeed. I was like, ah, oh, it said the thing. Um, yeah, um, a, uh, another Italian epic, um, is The Fall of Troy. Yep. Um, you know, based on the, the Iliad. Um, I like this one, uh, quite a bit more. I think it's shorter. It's not quite feature length. Yeah. 35 I think, minutes, I think. Yeah. Um, but the scale of it is
1: is kind of insane. Yeah, I thought, very, very big sets. Huge crowds. Like, um, I, I think... didn't
2: think that they were full sets at first. I was like, oh, there's like a backdrop. But then yeah. there'd be actors interacting with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, they built this whole thing.
1: <laughs> um, and this one also, like, I think... Uh, The Inferno, it's all meant to be played as one movie, but mm-hmm. uh, The Fall of Troy, like some of those two real D.W. Griffith movies, it's split into just two parts. They're like 2 two fifteen 15-minute parts that are demarcated from each other. Oh, I don't know if I um, realized that. Yeah, there's a part that was like end of part one, beginning of part two, you know? um. So, I, I doubt they were meant to be played separately, but at least like the, the reels themselves were delineated.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Um... There's also, there's some cool, like, um, this doesn't necessarily have, like, effects in it, per se. Uh, The Inferno definitely does. It has a lot yeah. of effects in it. Um, yeah. but this has some really cool, um, almost like forced perspective, like, miniatures incorporated into the set. So, like, uh, there's a really cool shot where, um, uh, was, who was he? Paris is, is on the, his balcony looking out over Troy as it's burning. Um, and we see, like, a miniature city that's on fire that's mm-hmm. sort of off the edge of this balcony. Um, I, was, I was very impressed with that shot. Uh, the One of the directors of this movie, uh, uh, Giovanni pa- Pastrone? I'm probably butchering his name. Giovanni. I'm just going to call him Giovanni. My close oh, personal yeah. friend. Oh,
1: yeah, I... I i saw that i saw that name and i called him giovanni Pastrami, and uh my my italian girlfriend uh said that i was racist <laughs> <laughs> spaghetti bullionese.
2: Um uh anyway giovanni uh would go, is will go on to direct uh Cabiria in nineteen fourteen which is one of It's not one of the first feature films, but it's you know it's a significant one.
1: It's a very notable one, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, another notable feature film that I watched was the defense or defense of Sevastopol, which is the first Russian feature film. Mm -hmm. It is probably about four to five times longer than it needs to be. Um, you did not watch this one, correct?
1: I was scared off of it. Yeah, I mean, looked boring and long (laughs)
2: it's it's oh the the pacing in this thing is it might be the slowest paced movie I've ever seen (laughs) oh my god (laughs) it's um thankfully I I had some fun Russian classical music that I was listening to which which was the most enjoyable part of it um there is like the scope of it is impressive um it's about an hour long but it's it could easily be like 20 minutes long mm-hmm. um just because like there's a really cool shots in it but then those shots last for like a full four minutes and it's like yeah we get it <laughs> we we see it yep okay Mm-hmm. yep still still going huh um but i mean there there are, there are definitely moments that kind of peek through that that are that are pretty good um it's shot on the real locations where the historical event that they're recreating actually happened, which is, which is kind of cool.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, there's a bit right at the beginning where they're introducing some of the, the, the major players, the sort of generals and, and admirals and things that were involved. And they, they get their own sort of like, uh, uh, like moving picture portraits, sort of like they're kind of sitting like they're in a portrait, but they're kind of looking around all moody, um and like their name is at the bottom i thought that was kind of cool
1: oh kind of like the introduction to the girl who didn't believe in santa claus
2: uh yeah yeah um but we get like we get a bunch of them yeah um so yeah not not one that i think is really necessary to watch all the way through but uh another significant sort of landmark
1: film yeah so I, the, the, tr- the piece of trivia that I know about this is that it is the first film ever to use two cameras, is at least according to what Wikipedia says. Right. Said. Yeah.
2: Um, I tried. Um, I, I tried to verify that, and I think, um, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, although um, I, I couldn't although, find anything that is like definitively. I couldn't find any like good source for it though.
1: Yeah. Um. So that's true. We don't know how much we can trust that stuff. I mean, that Max Linder movie where he was, uh, uh, uh or, or those Lumiere movies where you saw another camera on film, technically yeah. two cameras.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't really know what the details delineating that are, but if right. true, if true, then cool. Yeah.
1: Cool. If true. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, And then, I mean, we've got some, some, you know, the usual potpourri of, of other films that were released this year.
1: Yeah. Although, um, I, I, I guess I wouldn't call it an epic so much, but, uh, uh, Pinocchio. um, Yeah. Well, Pinocchio is Italian.
2: (laughs) This is true. Yeah. Uh, first Pinocchio movie. That's also a significant landmark, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, oh my God this movie (laughs) (laughs) this movie's wild it is pretty wild it's not i wouldn't call
2: it the traditional pinocchio story
1: well so here's the thing like this movie inspired me to go like okay like is this just going way off script with pinocchio or or Mm. or what you know and i've i'm not aware of the original pinocchio story i only know the disney one you know and the one with uh
2: um Jonathan Taylor Thomas, is that his name? What? It's a terrible joke. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> uh, some someone someone listening will get that joke. Um, <laughs> uh, if I said the so, name right. So this this movie is kind of a more faithful adaptation of Pinocchio than the Disney movie is. Uh, 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 the you know it's funny we're we're there are all of these movies that we're getting surprised at like how dark they are in uh, um that are especially fairy tale adaptations mm-hmm. and what i'm realizing is that maybe a lot of these things uh we're used to the sanitized versions of these fairy tales yeah. and these early films are showing us the true thing right mm-hmm. so the original pinocchio book uh uh, you know, apologize to, apologies to anyone who's familiar with this, but the original Pinocchio book, like, Pinocchio's not supposed to be a good guy, like, in any way, or likable in any way. It's, like, this, it's this, um, uh, kind of cautionary tale of just, like, you know, don't be like Pinocchio, because he sucks, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh for example, we all know Jiminy Cricket. We all know Jiminy Cricket yeah. from the Disney movie. He's right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, the- Jiminy Cricket is not in this, but I was looking into some of Soon the-
2: Soon to be played by uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the uh, upcoming live-action Disney remake.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. Um, well, so that that movie, I don't think it's Disney. I think it's going to be on Netflix. Uh, and, like, it's going to be co-directed by Guillermo del Toro. And it's Wait, supposed what? to be- yeah. I mean, oh wait, you're talking about there's a live action Disney movie? Yeah. Oh, wait. Guillermo del Toro, coming out later this year or next year, is making a stop motion animated Pinocchio Ooh. movie that is supposed to be a more faithful adaptation of the original Darkness of Pinocchio. Incredible. Uh, it's also going to have Patrick McHale writing from uh Over the Garden Wall. It's going to be sick. I'm so excited for it. Um, but uh Oh my God, what was I talking about? Pinocchio. Um,
2: Pinocchio yeah. is a big old jerk.
1: <laughs> okay. Jiminy Cricket, right? We know Jiminy Cricket. He's not in this version of Pinocchio, but we know him from, uh, uh, from the Disney version. In the original Pinocchio, he's not named. He's just a talking cricket. Uh, but, uh, Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket's in the entire Disney movie. In the original Pinocchio, uh, Pinocchio throws a hammer at this cricket and kills him. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't mean to kill the cricket but he's like, "Oh, oops," you know. <laughs> um, and so the cricket continues to be the conscience or whatever, but he's a ghost. Like it's a ghost cricket. Oh my god, it's American Pinocchio Werewolf murked. in
2: London. <laughs> it is American Werewolf. I never in realized London. that American Werewolf in London is actually Pinocchio.
1: That's <laughs> uh, insane. I mean, th- so yeah, this is faithful. Although I-, I will say that this is a Pinocchio movie where he doesn't lie. There's no lying, and his nose gets mm-hmm. bigger in this yeah. movie. Uh, he just has a big nose, and and he is just an asshole, and he just goes around <laughs> <laughs> goes around causing trouble. Yeah. Um. um oh, where do I even begin with this? It uh, it
2: felt very vaudevillian to me.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I think just in the way that it's sort of
2: staged and, I guess, the sort of, like, uh, the kind of physical comedy aspect of it, the slapstickiness. Mm-hmm. Um, although it, do, it does, it uses real outdoor locations, which is, it's definitely um, much more of a thing now, in 1911, but it still feels, I don't know, it, it still feels a little, a little bit novel, just to have
1: a movie... Shot in real places. Yeah, I mean, this is like this is real big budget. This is an hour long. Um, it goes over a lot. Wait, of... it's an
2: hour long. Yeah, I didn't watch the whole thing. Then I don't think.
1: Oh yeah, I think, man. I think like, I
2: missed out on some of this. This isn't an, an epic then.
1: There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there were some. Um, uh, there were some shorter versions, but at least like the most you know, the most fully released version. It's a, it's an hour long.
2: Oh man. Um, I got, and like, I got duped. I thought so it was much short. stuff
1: happens in this movie. Um, Oh man. <laughs> uh, so, and again, a lot of the stuff that happens, I, I thought was like, Oh my God, how did, how, how what are they doing in this? But it turns out that it was in the original Pinocchio. So for example, uh, so, so the second that Pinocchio awakens, he, like, runs wild through the streets, like Frankenstein's right. monster. That part I've seen. Yeah. And, like, a bunch of, like, Javert looking guys, <laughs> grab him. Um, uh, and Geppetto, like, gets arrested, uh, because, like, they feel like they think he's, like, mistreating Pinocchio, which is in the original. Um, uh, there, there's a part where, um, Pinocchio, like, lights like accidentally like lights his feet on fire. Um, and there's a cool scene where like Geppetto's like, like helping him fix his feet because he just like kind of saws off his foot and then like puts a new one on. he's like, Oh yeah, you know, don't do that again. Um, Uh, uh, Pinocchio is playing with some kids outside and he, uh, steps in a bear trap and his leg gets stuck in the bear trap. And, uh, the, the, the guy who owns the bear trap grabs him and then locks him up like a dog and puts a collar and leash on him. Um, the, uh, th- he he um, gets out and then some random people just grab him and then try to lynch him. They hang him from a tree. Um, so you see Pinocchio like hanging from a noose. Um, uh, uh, in, Didn't in the- see that part. No, yeah. <laughs> in the original pinocchio book uh he it, it the, the, or the original ending of pinocchio mm-hmm. that i don't think was in the book but it was the original intended ending is pinocchio just getting executed in this fashion um and the the quote from the book A a tempestuous northerly wind began to blow and roar angrily. It beat the poor puppet from side to side, making him swing violently like the clatter of a bell ringing for a wedding. And the swinging gave him atrocious spasms. His breath failed him and he could say no more. He shut his eyes, opened his mouth, stretched his legs, gave a long shudder, and hung stiff and insensible. Damn. (laughs) Um... Then the Blue Fairy saves Pinocchio. Some random Blue Fairy saves Pinocchio. Gives him four golden coins to take back to Geppetto. While he's on his way back to Geppetto, uh, a... Uh, who are they? They're a, fo- uh, a cat and a fox uh, come up to him and say, Hey, kid, like, bury these coins. And uh, they'll turn into a tree and he, uh, that grows coins. And so he's like, Oh, hot dog. I'm going to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and so the... Uh, the fox and the cat come back and they steal the money that he buried and then Pinocchio on his way back to to check on the tree the next morning, he sees the fox and the cat living it up in in a bar and he's like, (laughs) they stole my money! Um, (laughs) A fox um, and a cat walk into a bar. And I don't even know how this happens, but apparently it also happens in the book, but they put Pinocchio in prison for the crime of being robbed. Um. Uh. This movie. This movie's wild. He escapes from prison, and then he swims for ninety nine days, and then he gets swallowed by the whale, which is one of the things that I remember from the Disney movie. Uh. He meets Geppetto in the whale's stomach, and uh, and then the whale takes them to Canada, and they they get involved. (laughs) They get involved in a war between Canadians and Native Americans. And so there so all of that happens. then the uh Canadians put him in a uh in a cannon and then launch him all the way back to Italy. <laughs> uh yeah and then and then he goes to an animal world and uh and uh uh gets turned into a donkey okay um so that happens after with, the whale yes um and uh uh one there's actually a really cool shot uh while he's getting turned into a donkey where you see him looking into his reflection in the water and uh so the reflection is looking straight at the camera and the camera is like right above his head and i i couldn't tell actually if it was if it was an actual reflection or if it was like some kind of post effect of hmm. like double exposure um but like basically he's like turning into a donkey and he gets these giant donkey ears um, and, uh, and so he's, like, seeing his ears being revealed and, like, looking at himself in the mirror. It's a pretty well-done well, well done shot. Um, and he makes a friend in this animal world who also ends up getting turned into a donkey. Uh, that same random blue fairy, uh, uh, saves him again, but doesn't save his friend, so his friend stays as a donkey. And then, um, and then Pinocchio goes back, and then he just turns into a real boy. And that's the end of the movie it's It's insane this
2: movie's nuts <laughs> i I, f- I feel so cheated that I looked this movie up and
1: I found a i don't know like ten minute version of it mm-hmm, oh man, yeah, I'm glad i I didn't notice this movie until you said like oh like check out Pinocchio and uh, <laughs> I didn't even uh, know what I
2: was talking about boy apparently. boy,
1: did I check it out uh, yeah, this movie was <laughs> wild,
2: <laughs> damn. Well, I'll have to watch that now. Um, in addition to, to movies from, for next episode. Um, yeah, that is, that's nuts. Um, another kind of, uh, crazy movie, I guess, is, um, The Pirates of 1920.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Which is
2: another sky pirate movie, which is another,
1: another prime candidate for a Glenn favorite. Yeah.
2: Um, I do love how, like, the sky pirate movie is kind of becoming a a subgenre.
1: That's so fun. Yeah, I love Um,
2: that. And yeah, it's, it's very reminiscent of Walter R. Booth's sort of airship films. Mm -hmm. Um, airship heist movies. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and like those, it's very, it's very big and ambitious and pretty, pretty well made. Um, yeah. Um, it, it, uh, it is sort of structurally, I guess, is sort of a like, uh, woman is kidnapped, uh, while uh, a man comes to try to save her. But unlike all of the D.W. Griffith movies like that, uh, this one has Sky Pirates. So it is automatically better. <laughs> um, also, uh, the, the main, the like male lead of this movie is named Jack Manley. Oh my God. <laughs> which is the most on the nose name for a, a hero ever it's great um uh but uh much like parson sue the ending is missing which is gross
1: hmm. i mean i think i can figure out what happens yeah me too based on but what, it, it's, yeah, it's still it it's up. like
2: it's frustrating
1: yeah there's a po- like it's it, it ends with a point of her She's kidnapped on the ship, and she gets, a, she gets a hold of a bomb, and she says, like, I'll blow us all up if you don't land the, land the, the yeah. Zeppelin. Um, so they do. Uh, then they chase after her, but it's in parallel action. You see that the cops are, are arriving, mm-hmm. and then that's when the movie ends. Yeah. But, so you don't see the, the kind of rescue and confrontation. But I had that thing. I was like,
0: oh, no, oh, no. Oh.
2: <laughs> I want to see the end. And-
1: yeah, and um, this one's only available on the BFI player, so uh, I'm glad that I was able to figure out how to make that work. <laughs> uh, I'll upload it so that on YouTube so that we can we can watch it there, so that though.
2: we rascally Americans can see it.
1: Yeah, um, uh, I love also that this. Is set only nine years in the future. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a it's imagining like Sky Pirates and steampunk marvels, but it's nine it's nineteen twenty. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um I mean like on one hand, a lot of that stuff, like airship technology did advance quite a bit by nineteen twenty. Like Yeah. Um, you know, by nineteen sixteen or whenever like they were using airships in in war to bomb cities and things. So you mean by um,
1: 1911? Because that was in the uh, no,
2: in but the I mean, intro. I mean in real life though.
1: Yeah. The 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 in the intro was oh, in the, uh, yeah Italian the Italo-Turkish that was, that, War
2: that was an airplane
1: they, though that not a zeppelin though oh not a zeppelin anyway. oh, okay I got gotcha. you yeah
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, <laughs> Walter R. Booth did make yes. some movies this year, though, yeah, um, we don't get to see aerial Anarchists, which is a lost film, which was the the sort of capper of his trilogy of of sky pirate movies. It's so sad, um, but we get to see the automatic motorist, yep. which is very similar to the huh motorist,
1: yeah, kind of a remake found it kind, of a, kind a of a loose remake. remake.
2: Um, but this one follows a couple on, I guess, their wedding day, Yeah. who decide to go driving with a mad scientist and his robot driver.
1: <laughs> a classic wedding activity. Uh, yeah. and then they
2: got stopped by a cop and decide to tie him up to the back of their car.
1: Um And then a dog bites the cop on the butt, and then the dog's driving, <laughs> uh, the dog's kind of tailing behind the car as well. Um...
2: And then, you know, much like the, huh, motorist, the, the car ends up, you know, driving up the sides of buildings and into outer space. Uh, yeah. this time to Saturn, uh, which in this movie is full of goblin kids. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty wild one.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like, um, like in the, huh, motorist, like the, the car, Drives around on the rings of Saturn. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it kind of goes onto the planet. And the way they depict that is the car just, like, smashing through the, <laughs> the image of Saturn. Uh, like, it's a piece of paper that tears away. Um, and then you see it a lot more close up as, like, like uh, on when they're leaving Saturn. Like, the people are kind of climbing out of this, like, hole in the planet uh, yeah. onto the ring itself. It's yeah. very kind of... Non-literal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Walter Arbooth also made, uh, a significant animate, animated film called Animated yep. Putty, which, um, I don't know, I don't know if it's technically the first movie to use clay or putty for stop motion. It's a little um,
1: difficult to tell just based yeah. on some of those older ones. Um, but, this is the first one to really significantly use it yeah. or, or entirely.
2: Um, yeah. And, the, and, and to really kind of draw attention to it that within the film, it is meant to be clay kind of. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it did, this movie did kind of send me down a rabbit hole over the, the, the actual word claymation, which uh. I always, I always thought was coined by, uh, uh, Ardman, which is the company that made um, Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run. Yep. But it was actually trademarked by uh, Will Vinton Studios, um, which was the, the precursor to Leica. Oh! Um, and Will Vinton was a, a huge uh, stop-motion innovator, um, although a lot of his stuff is commercial work, um, as opposed to, like, narrative film stuff. Hmm. Um... But yeah, th- this movie definitely made me It's the movie that every kid makes when they discover that stop motion is a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's a lot of just messing around with yeah. it. But uh it's pretty well done. Um I think that the it's it's basically just all of these like sculptures and faces being made out of the clay and it's like it's you're seeing them forming um uh and the final product is like very well done. Clay sculpture, um, uh, so well done that it almost made me feel like like is this being done in reverse? And they like have like a nice thing that they're Whoa. taking apart, you know? Uh, I couldn't mm. really quite tell because like the way that it comes together is so uh, clean and masterful mm-hmm. in a way uh, that it seems like it would be more intuitive that they're they have like nice clay things that they're like mushing and taking apart. But I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, that's,
2: you might be right. I mean, it's either that or they're just very good at, you know, very quickly doing some very yeah. intricate clay, clay sculpting. Yeah. Um, re- reversing something is always, I feel like such a sim- simple effect that people don't always notice. There's a lot of times, even in movies right. now where it's like, oh, how'd they do that? Oh, and then it's just like, oh, we just reversed it. And it's like, oh, of course.
1: Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't notice it in Frankenstein last year. So yeah, um,
2: a uh, couple other just uh, I guess things that are worth mentioning.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's um, another cartoon. Yeah, uh, which is Windsor McKay the famous cartoonist of the New York Herald and his moving comics, <laughs> also known as Little Nemo. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: uh, this sort of less
2: less form or less accurate title but much easier to to use yeah. um and this is i mean this is kind of a live action short with animation incorporated into it
1: yeah i mean it's it the, the whole it the, the whole live action framing device is sort of a justification for showing you the animation mm-hmm. um where Winsor McKay is basically the, the, the famous cartoonist, um, is, of the New York Herald, uh, uh and uh, is, is being challenged to mo- make moving comics. <laughs> um, so some like big, like, I don't know, bigwigs or whatever are just like, Hey, Winsor McKay, make four drawing 4,000 drawings in one month and, uh, and, you know, we'll make it, make a cartoon, you know? Yeah. Um, and so there's some good like comedy of, uh, of him like uh of like rolling like giant like barrels of ink and like big pallets (laughs) of paper into uh into his uh uh room you know so it's depicting the process of him spending the month like drawing all of the um the four thousand frames four thousand frames yeah and then it plays the movie itself yeah um and it's very very well done the Mm. the i mean you know he is a he is a a talented artist and he's already been making comic strips like L- little nemo and slumberland which is what this is based on um and uh there's a lot of very like very smooth motion there's there are things rotating in 3d space that stuff which yeah, kind of blew my mind a little yeah bit. which it's, it's very it takes a lot of like artistic prowess i think to do that mm-hmm. in animation um especially so early on yeah They use squash and stretch, Mm -hmm. which uh, you know feels like the right way to do it. People are already figuring out that that's what you need to be doing to make animation look good. Yeah. Um, Something I was wondering was like whether this is um, whether whether there's any rotoscoping in this because some of it looks like like weirdly smooth in the way that a lot of rotoscoping looks, but. It could just be that that's just the way that he did it, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I, I get the impression that it is, it's, 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 it's more that just a lot of work went into it. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and that Winter McKay is, is good at drawing. Yeah. Turns out. Um, although this is also a movie that is like, why do the olden times gotta be racist? Um, oh, there, there's right, one of the characters. Yeah. yeah. There's some, some, very uh racist stereotypical like uh what caricature in this um which is like damn it olden times (laughs) um why can't you be more like dr seuss
1: oh my god topical topical topical. um We're, we're dating our podcast although a year from now, no one will remember that everybody no. just lost their minds over Doctor Seuss. Well,
2: but <laughs> a couple people lost their minds over Doctor Seuss, <laughs> right? <laughs> a couple of very silly people decided yeah. to get very angry about Doctor Seuss.
1: Yeah, not silly in a good way, silly in a dumb way. Yeah. Um, I will just also highlight that like there's a dragon in this, and the the, the animation on the dragon is so cool. Yeah, like like the dragon looks amazing. Yeah. Um I think these are all characters like from Little Nemo and Slumberland mm-hmm. which I haven't yeah. really read much of. Um I've seen like a couple strips but I've never really uh, looked into it. Yeah, but same. I think I think the dragon is is from the the comic strip and like Little Nemo is also in it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um yeah, I mean it's also like in addition to being the animation itself was really good. It's very um I think the level of detail in the drawings is is pretty elaborate. Um, Mm -hmm. it's almost, I, I kind of get the sense that like, as animation developed, they learned to kind of streamline things and simplify things. And this is like,
1: yeah, it would probably be done. Labor intensive. Yeah.
2: It's, it, it, I can feel the, like the labor coming off the screen,
1: you know, it's like,
2: this was so much work.
1: (laughs) I mean, probably why they made a whole framing device showing you how much work it was. Yeah.
2: That's a good point. Um, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think this is, this is definitely the most elaborate hand-drawn animation that we've seen that has probably been done at this
1: point. Most impressive too.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, there was another Charles Urban sort of documentary film that was shot in color.
1: Hmm. Kinma color.
2: Yeah. Which did we explain what that was last time? Yeah. Yeah. The two the um,
1: two color process that made kind of funky looking colors. Yeah. Also uh, very labor got... intensive. <laughs>
2: um Banks of the Nile is 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 this film. Um it's it's not really that different from the other Kinema color films that we've watched, but they there were some cool moments in it where sort of fast movement, because of the way that the color process works, sort of creates like a, a rainbow trail effect almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. That was super cool. Um, Another just very weird thing that I had to write down about this movie is, uh, looking it up on Letterboxd, the top review for Banks of the Nile is apparently actually referring to a 1981 three-hour TV movie called Artemis 81, starring Sting (laughs) from the police. Um, Because I was like, this is not describing uh this movie at all and it's talking about sting <laughs> so and so i had i had to like try to figure i'd like look up character names and like try to figure out what it was and i was like oh, oh my god it's a three-hour tv movie don't know why they they got their wires crossed and, and just posted this review that's funny uh under banks of the nile so i i got um, a chuckle out of that <laughs>
1: I think it's interesting um how you know they've got this new natural color process, quote unquote natural color process. Mm-hmm. And because showing something in color, in, in true color, is kind of new, they're kind of reverting to a previous style of films because this is basically yeah. an actuality. Yeah, pretty much. Um and uh and so was the the beach one from the other year. Mm-hmm. Um uh this is basically like a like a Lumiere style Go to a place and point some camera, point a camera at like a culture and see what they look like, you know, but this time in color. Uh, and so, you know, it's in Egypt. And one of the things that I thought was actually kind of interesting was, you know, kinema color has a lot of flaws, uh, as you were describing. Um, but it actually doesn't show white skin super well. Um, it shows it okay, but like mm. white skin sometimes looks a little overexposed and a little, uh, just kind of weird. Um, yeah. and this is showing like, like dark skinned, like black people, like, uh, in, in Egypt. Yeah. And I think their skin actually looks a lot better on the kinema color than, than white people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely does. Um, I hadn't really picked up on that. And that's super interesting. Um, because that's, it's, there are still, like, I still hear about problems of, like, cinematographers that only know how to light, uh, white people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's interesting, like, this, this, like, super early color film was like, <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're too light skinned, you just look blown out like a ghost. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Probably just by accident that it happened to look better for yeah. black people. But, uh, Kinema color, come back. Teach, <laughs> teach teach, white cinematographies all, how it works. Yeah. They
2: all have to learn on kinema color now. <laughs>
1: um, well, let me, let me just run through. There was this one, uh, Max Linder movie that we can wrap up with, uh, which is called Max's Tragedy, which isn't actually that, I think most of the movie is not actually that good. Um, it's just like some kind of broad comedy that's, uh, it's okay. Uh, it's about like, uh, Two people who are in sort of an arranged marriage and they're trying to gross each other out so that the other person will uh, refuse them. <laughs> um, and one of the gross out ways is, I believe, like somebody putting on blackface in a in a sense, which is not good. Um, but uh, the you know, it's mostly kind of a light comedy movie. But both of them end up becoming actors. Uh, which is sort of their both of their dreams. And when they realize that they both want to be actors, they get together and they fall in love and everything. And uh, toward the end of the movie, uh, or like once they've gotten together, there's a title card that says like a couple years later. Um, and then it portrays them like with a baby and Max is like an alcoholic and like everything, like they're living a terrible life. They all like, they hate everything and everything's terrible. And they're like on the verge of death. And you're like, oh, my God, this is, like, weirdly dark for a Max yeah. Linder movie. Uh, and then they die, uh, and you're like, Jesus Christ, like, what is happening? This is supposed to be a comedy movie. And just as they die, the camera, like, pulls back, and you see that they're on a stage. And you see the audience come up. The audience uh, clapping. The... Yeah. Uh, the cur- like, and curtain so, and, falls. And, and the curtain falls, and they get up and take a bow and you find out that they're like the actors right but this wild metatextual thing happens where they're giving the the audience this like they're they're tricking the audience basically and then they pull out and reveal that yeah. that it was all on stage which um, is really amazing yeah
2: and it's 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 a physical camera move like the camera like pull, is actually moving back which is yeah pretty which feels very um uh different for this time period. Like yeah, there's is yeah, not yeah. a lot of camera movement happening. At least not besides like some pans and some tilts uh on a on a fixed tripod or something. Um or on a train. Um but yeah, it's it's such a good reveal. And it it's also yeah. the kind of reveal that probably wouldn't work as well in a modern movie because the sort of staginess of the last scene of them in, of their oh. life in shambles, yeah um you know it it is believable as a uh a stage once the reveal is made, but before that it you're totally into it of like oh it's just a simple like straight locked off shot of like their living room
1: oh that's funny yeah,
2: um like most other movies, and then we get this like wild camera move back to reveal the audience that's in front of them. It was it was amazing. I was so impressed with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was that was super cool. Very very adventurous uh 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 formal stuff from yeah. Max Linder. Yeah. Um and I guess that'll about wrap it up. Yeah. Um another, another another year in the books. Another year in the books. Moving on to 1912 soon. Uh if you would like to keep up with some behind the scenes stuff or i don't know look at images that we post uh we have uh an instagram which is linked in the description and uh it's instagram uh, it's at 1week1year one one i think spelled out but why did i pick a podcast that has that could be numerals or could be spelled mm. bad bad choice um and uh you can follow us on twitter where we post about our new uh, our new episodes when they come out, uh, or you can subscribe to us on YouTube, which I'm looking at you, YouTube, hello, or on your podcast your app, which you probably are already, but unless you're listening to Spotify or whatever, subscribe to us. Um, and I guess that's about it. Um, on to 1912, moving through the 1910s decade, Glenn. I'll see you next year. See you next
0: year. Uh, Treating me like a little wooden boy. Well, girl, I'm telling you, for you, I do got wooden boy. I'd let you pull my strings any day. I'm your puppet baby, spinning right round and round like a record player. You're running
1: round my thoughts every day, doing laps of the tennis courts in my brain. Let's stop, take a break. We could go to Stockholm or another capital city like Helsinki or Rome.